We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What is up, everybody? Welcome inside the Guilty as Charged podcast, coming to you live on a Sunday ahead of the 2022 training camp. We're going to preview every position battle that we think it is. Well, not every position battle, obviously, but the relevant ones that we have, uh, of course, a lot to talk about. And then ultimately, we are going to pick a winner uh, or, or give a prediction of who wins the battle, if you will. So going to be a fun one. Can't wait to see how it all shakes out. Joining me to do that are my guys, Tyler and Alex. Alex, we'll start with you, man. How are you doing this morning? Doing good. Um, unfortunately, we did have to cut the uh, Brandon Peters Easton Stick QB3 battle. Uh, <laughs> it was cut for time. We do have a long show planned with plenty of position battles, but that one, unfortunately, we don't have time to talk about. Yeah, that uh, that one is uh, going to be an interesting one, I guess. Uh, Brandon <laughs> no, Peters. <laughs> I I got to study Brandon Peters for the undrafted free agent episode, and uh, it was not pretty. So I, I watched the Brandon Peters game, the nine overtime game against Penn State, or however many <laughs> overtimes that was, and that was enough for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Tyler's here as well, man. Tyler, how you doing? Ready to go, ready to rock. Steven, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So yesterday, of course, we did our Q&A. We are talking about movies to watch and things like that. And um, Brooke and I debated going to see Nope. Um, but after the way that you guys talked about it yesterday, I uh, was figured I'd wait a little bit and let the dust settle for, for some more reviews to come out and things like that. So uh, we ended up staying home. We went out to dinner and we watched Dune. 
And I had I watched Dune when it came out, but Brooke did not. And I forgot how long of a setup and a runway that movie has. And so about an hour and a half in, Brooke fell asleep. So that was that was our Saturday night. Yeah, it's definitely a long one. And boy, I don't know if I'd watch it at home. I mean, I, I really liked it watching it in theaters. But once yeah. you get to the home setting and you've already seen it, I just fall asleep. Still haven't seen it. Yeah, so it's um, clearly setting up a second movie, but uh, it was it was quite long. A lot of scenes that I were like, I was like, okay, I don't remember this being this dragged out, but uh, it's all good. So um, it is what it is. All right, so we are, like I said, we're going to preview training camp position battles, um, a lot of running back talk, offensive lineman talk, defensive lineman talk, some secondary talk. So, uh, you know, we're going to preview every position battle that we uh, have information on. We'll go through some of what we think are like um, pros and cons, if you will, of, e of each player that we that is relevant in this battle. So very interested to see how it shakes out. So we're going to start uh, by sharing a visual with our audience here that is live and, of course, watching on YouTube. Um, for our audio audience, we'll, of course, try and you know explain everything as much as we can. So we're going to start with the running back position. Um, we do have just kind of have a Google uh, presentation up. So we'll each kind of put in our uh, winners and losers here. So, um, you know, I, we've had a lot of time to kind of marinate on the Isaiah Spiller pick at this point. So he obviously is vying for the running back two, running back three spot. Um, of course, you also have Joshua Kelly, Larry Roundtree, Kevin Marks and Letty Brown, um, which obviously means Austin Eckler locked in for RB1. So Tyler, we'll start with you. Is it? I I feel like it's almost a foregone conclusion that Spiller is RB two, yeah. but I guess the way that we can frame this here for him specifically, I mean, we've seen the Chargers draft three running backs in three years. We were all excited about Joshua Kelly. Some of us were excited about Larry Roundtree last year. Uh, how confident are you that Isaiah Spiller does ultimately end up being a different RB two for this team? I feel like uh, one of us was excited for Larry Roundtree last year. I don't know if uh, Alex, <laughs> Alex was on the other end of that for sure, and I was somewhere in the middle. I was actually uh, a big fan of Larry Roundtree. Um, yeah, still a big fan. Yeah, that's great. Uh, how confident am I that he can be different? It's tough because I didn't watch Joshua Kelly, so I don't know how he – well, I didn't watch a lot of him, so I don't know how he transitioned to the NFL. Joshua Kelly at UCLA, you mean? Yeah. What did I say? No, no, I'm just – I was just – Oh, yes, at UCLA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know what he had and why it hasn't quite translated to the NFL. So I don't know, you know, if Isaiah Spiller has like the same strengths or something, and then maybe those weaknesses show up in the NFL. I don't know. Um, but I'm very confident he can work out in the NFL. I do like what he can do on third down. I think that just keeps him very safe, very solid. I think he's a smart player. I think he's an elusive player. He played in a very, very tough conference. So I, I have all the faith in the world that he'll be at worst better than the other two running backs that they drafted but that bar is pretty low yeah larry roundtree played in a really tough conference too all those yards um i'll say that spiller is yeah I, he's rb2 um i don't think they have another choice at this point you invested that fourth round pick in him um I, the real question is kind of what happens behind him and i guess how fast he gets like those permanent rb2 snaps if you will right because i do still think roundtree and kelly while you know spiller is getting stuff going probably will still have a decent fortune of snaps and then i think you'll see spiller start to kind of rise throughout the season 
um, in terms of his snap counts and everything. So, yeah, uh, he's RB2. They need him to be RB2. He easily, out of their current group, has the highest athletic upside uh, and, you know, is probably the best runner in terms of direction, holds on to the football. Uh, I think we're all in agreement here. Yeah, we are. I think if you're talking about them as prospects, right? Like, I think the thing with Joshua Kelly was that, you know, he didn't have a ton of mileage on his tires, if you will. You know, he was relatively inexperienced at the position, of course, being a UC Davis transfer to UCLA. And when he was at UCLA, he was a great player. He was like their whole source of offense. And then, you know, he goes down to the senior bowl, has a great senior bowl week um, and ends up getting drafted, of course. But, um, you know, there were similar traits between Spiller and Kelly out of college. I think, you know, contact balance was, was, you know, a, a similar trait that they would share. Um, the thing with Kelly was just like the, the vision was just not there. And we've seen that ultimately come to fruition in the NFL. Um, and of course, you never really saw him display a diverse route tree or, or really any kind of pass catching experience at UCLA, which Chip Kelly generally likes to kind of separate his running back room into this guy is carrying the ball. This guy is going to be our pass catcher. And, and um, you know, Joshua Kelly's pass catching running back was Demetric Felton, who mm-hmm. uh, of course has been drafted and um, has been a pretty successful, you know, supporting running back for the Cleveland Browns. But uh, with Spiller, like there's no doubt in my mind that he at least can be a capable third down running back. Mm-hmm. And I think that just gives him a little bit more value than the other guys. So I absolutely agree that he is RB2. Um, the interesting one, of course, comes for RB3 and RB4. Um, Alex, we'll start with you here. What kind of criteria are you looking for or basing this conversation or debate on for the other two running back spots? Who's less bad? Um, <laughs> yeah, pretty I simple. Uh I guess for RB3, I'm going to put in Larry Roundtree. Um, I don't really have a lot that I'm basing this off of, and I think that you're both you're seeing both Roundtree and Kelly ultimately kind of get demoted in a sense. Less baddest. Uh, Sorry, Alex. I'm just laughing. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't know. I mean, Roundtree has special teams value. He can at least contribute in that way probably a better short yardage back than Joshua Kelly. Um, Other than that, I mean, we're talking about RB3 and RB4 here. I'm just kind of going on the basis that Roundtree is a Brandon Staley draft pick, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, has more time on his contract. Joshua Kelly, if there would be a running back who's going to be cut in favor of a Marks or Brown, I don't think it's going to happen. It would probably be him. Um, So at this point, I think Larry Roundtree is probably the RB3 get some red zone carries here and there. Um, I think that's probably the situation the Chargers are in. And maybe towards the beginning of the season, him and Spiller split a little bit more. And then, like I said, I think Spiller, you know, starts to really get those carries, you know, as he earns them throughout the season. But the Chargers just invested too much capital in Spiller for him to have a big role. But I still think, you know, they did draft him in this daily administration. So uh, I'm going to put Roundtree at RB3. Yeah, yeah. I, I, this is just it's there's so many different layers here right because larry roundtree like won the rb2 position coming out of training camp last year um he was kind of the guy um you know for the first few weeks of the season that was getting the bulk of the carries and and of course justin jackson kind of emerged midway through the season so 
Roundtree and Joshua Kelly were always kind of battling it out for that third spot as they kind of are again this year. Um, so just going through the numbers, right? Uh, Roundtree had 36 carries, uh, 87 yards on the season for 2.4 yards per carry, uh, one touchdown. He had 1.97 yards after contact per attempt. He forced three missed tackles and had one uh, carry that went for longer than 10 yards. Joshua Kelly had 33 carries, 102 yards on the season for 3.1 yards per carry, zero touchdowns, the two fumbles. Um, he had he averaged two yards per contact after attempt. He forced five missed tackles and had uh, two carries over 10 yards. So very similar players in terms of like production, like no one really ever edged themselves out over the other one. Um, Joshua Kelly, of course, had the fumble issues. Uh, Larry Rounchy just kind of never really could find his rhythm. I mean, of course, he popped off a couple of big runs. A couple of big runs got called back because of holdings. So it's it's a tough spot. I I generally lean that Kelly is the better player, but it's just the fumbling issues for me that are like holding me back. So I think if you are trying to kind of you know, talk yourselves into talk yourself into an RB three. I think you probably can would prefer like the more, I guess, stable or consistent player after Spiller because Spiller, you know, he is so young. He is a rookie running back. So I think that's Roundtree, but I don't know, man. I, I, what do you think, Tyler? Where are you at here? Dude, I don't even know. Like this, this <laughs> one is just give me a coin and I'll toss it and we'll see what happens because. Okay, so if I'm just looking at what happened last year, right? Kelly, it was pretty early in training camp and pretty obvious. It was Eckler, Jackson, Kelly, Roundtree, and then Bradwell. And it was basically like that the entire way. At the scrimmage, Kelly was the clear RB3. And then suddenly the season starts and it's Larry Roundtree starting. It's like, oh, okay, interesting. Or, you know, RB3 starting. Yeah. And then we get to a certain point in the season, like, okay, here we go. Larry Roundtree did really well against the Raiders, like really ground out some tough yards. And I think like the next week it was Josh Kelly. It was like, wait, what happened? And then it'd be Roundtree, and it'd be Kelly, and then it was Bradwell for against the Broncos or whatever. So, what a weird situation! And you guys are actually kind of convincing me though, because I think Kelly, I, I do think Kelly, honestly, based on how the season finished, is the safer back. But because okay. they draft, but then because they drafted Spiller, I think Roundtree is now the more the back you should prioritize, I guess, because like what you talked about, like a nice, stable, hopefully better runner like a night like a a decent runner of the football i think like there are things that you can see in the runs that were called back right against the chiefs against the steelers against the vikings i think there are good things there it just never really came together or there was penalties so i think someone like roundtree if you want someone who can grind out tough yards that's not really eckler and it even wasn't statistically last year even though he is very tough and it's not spiller spiller is not a, a grind out the yards kind of guy it's not sexy, but Roundtree does potentially give you that. Still so much unknown. Um, I, again, I do think Joshua Kelly was kind of their, I mean, he was their favorite heading to the end of the year. And I do think that this couple of you know unique and good looking receiving plays that he had, one against the Broncos, one against the Texans, very elusive, something that they just didn't have in Roundtree. I think that makes him stand out, but this position's a mess. I'm going to go with Roundtree as RB3, but I don't really feel great about it. And I'm only doing that because I think he's less redundant with Spiller and Eckler. 
Oh man. See, I was like waiting for you to kind of sway me in one way or the other. And then I kind of just like was thinking about this and I think I'm going to go, I think I'm going to pick Kelly, man. I think at the end of the day, I think we've just seen the more highs from Kelly than we have from Roundtree. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, we heard in 2020 from obviously none of us were there, but you know, several beat writers said that Joshua Kelly was like one of the best players on the team in 2020 during training camp. Um, We've seen, um, some really great play out of him. It's just mm-hmm. we've also seen some really bad play. So I think where I'm leaning at the end of the day is just choose the more talented player and then yeah, maybe kind of RB4, you you sort out the, the special teams aspect of it. So I'm going to go with Kelly for uh, RB3 just because I believe he is the more talented player right now. Yeah, uh, and I, I could totally see that. And I think based on what they've showed us, he he really is the RB3 and was to start training camp. Um, I was going to do the same thing as Alex. It really doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, look, because... you, you said flip a coin earlier, and yeah. that's how the coaching staff viewed it last year. I mean, mm-hmm. Joshua Kelly played a little bit more down the stretch, but ultimately every week, I'd, either one of them was a healthy scratch or maybe they took four running backs into a game in some situations. But I think that if Eckler and Spiller are clear one, two, then it's probably just going to be matchup dependent and week to week in terms of which one's playing, uh, in terms of which one's on the roster in case something happens. So I could see Kelly Roundtree. I could see Roundtree Kelly. Neither of them have breakout potential because they use the pick on Spiller and Spiller's every two. Sure. So you could do whatever order you want. Yeah, I'm not feeling super great about the undrafted free agent backs potential. Not, I mean, if Lady Brown makes it awesome, I absolutely think one of these guys could. I just, I think they're gonna roll with their four again. I, I feel great about Marks. I don't think the coaching staff cares. <laughs> That's kind of where <laughs> yeah. I am at the end of the day. Um, maybe something happens in the preseason or training camp that changes that. But ultimately, I think they probably roll with their four running backs. Maybe there's a world where they go three running backs, one fullback. Um, I, I'd like to see that just because I don't think you need four running back slots, but uh, I think we're probably going to four running backs again. Everton O'Neill, yeah, Justin Jackson would be nice if he came back. That would be fantastic. Um, I guess the only thing here to consider any chance that the Chargers would uh, pick up a veteran that gets cut. You know, I think there are a few, you know, uh, running back rooms that are a little oversaturated. You know, of course, the Cleveland Browns come to mind. The Miami Dolphins come to mind. Um, any chance you think that, you know, if a guy like Miles Gaskin or Dearness Johnson, Kareem Hunt, whatever the Browns decide there, uh, get cut, that the Chargers would pick them up to be RB3? I think Dearness is the only one that would give them any kind of change to their roster. Otherwise, I think they're just going to, like Lynn era, they'll pick up any random running back. We'll get Kenyon Drake. We'll get Traymond Pope, whatever. This regime, I just think they're going to kick, like, but the way they did it last year, they're going to stick with their guys. So I, I think unless it's Dearness Johnson, which would be awesome, and then, of course, everyone's going to want him. Um, yeah. Other than that, I don't think I don't think they make a change, honestly. Wow, so none of us have an undrafted free agent making the roster. I just need to see it, whatever it would be in preseason yeah. training camp, yeah. and we haven't really heard Staley or anyone else on the staff be like, oh, we're in love with that guy. So that's kind of why I don't have one. Yeah, I for now, I'm just putting Roundtree. I just think it, that's going to be like the special team's back spot, and um, I think Kevin Marks has a legitimate chance, but like Alex, I got, like I need to see it. So this is, I mean, this is a roster prediction, but I feel like this one specifically is probably the most one that I feel is going to 
be changed by what we see. Yeah, um, and I hope so. Yeah, yeah. It would be nice to see one of these undrafted free agents come out and just like be the better player and just you know earn that spot, even if it's RB three. Like, I like I don't necessarily have a, a you know a horse in this race. Like I just somebody good you know, prove that they are, can earn this spot and, you know, provide some good depth behind uh, Eckler and Spiller. Yep. 100%. All right. Well, uh, we'll move on to the next position, which I believe is wide receiver. Okay. I was going to think it was fullback, but it's not. So um, this is specifically wide receiver three. Of course you have Keenan Allen, Mike Williams locked into their roles as one and two. So vying for this spot, of course you have Josh Palmer, Jalen Guyton, DeAndre Carter, um, and then you kind of have the the other guys, Jason Moore, Maurice French, uh, Michael Bandy, Joe Reed, and uh, Trayvon Bradford. So um, we are kind of basing this based off of snaps as opposed to who comes in and gets like the most targets. Although mm-hmm. that, could necess- that could be theoretically the same player. Um, you know, so uh, just kind of looking at the numbers from last year, um, of course, you had... Jalen Guyton was kind of the wide receiver three last year. He only edged out Josh Palmer by one target. However, he did have a little over 120 more snaps on the season than Josh Palmer. Uh, Of course, they did ease in Palmer throughout the season. And then really in the back half of the season was when Palmer really started to get his opportunity. So, um, Alex, we'll start with you on this one. Where are you at with uh, wide receiver three? What are you expecting to see from Guyton, Palmer, DeAndre Carter, who was your breakout pick, and uh, any of the other guys? Uh, I This one's tough. I think for now it's still Guyton. Um, I could see Palm, you know, could the answer be different by the end of the season? Sure. I mean, uh, Guyton only ended up beating Palmer, like you said, by 120 snaps last year. So if you see, you know, uh, Palmer getting more comfortable in the system, him being a Herbert preferred target, and you can sort of see that start to uh, even out. I just think the Chargers have a speed problem and like a getting deep problem uh, in their wide receiver uh, room. I mean, they don't really have anyone that creates speed quite in that way. Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and Josh Palmer can't do what Jalen Guyton does. So therefore they need Jalen Guyton to be there. It would be a little bit different if like a Tyron Johnson or somebody like that was still on the team. And then, you know, maybe one of them would kind of be redundant. Um I, I could see Palmer again overtaking wide receiver three, but for now, especially because of how often we've seen Mike Williams banged up, maybe Palmer will have to slot up in that role as well. Um, sometimes Keenan Allen, you know, has a hamstring thing, so maybe Palmer would have to step in that capacity as well. Um, Guyton to me is the one wide receiver that no other wide receiver can really step in for in creating that deep separation, and he also improved. Uh, as a uh, as a blocker, as a route runner last year, especially in the intermediate range. So for me, starting the season, I would say that it's Jalen Guyton, even though by the end of the season, especially you know as we hit restricted free agency with Guyton next year, it could very well end up being Palmer. Um, and Herbert just talked about how much he loves Josh Palmer and his development as well. But for now, um, just because of the intangibles and, and because of the speed aspect, I'm going to go with Guyton still. Yeah, I think when you open training camp, you're going to have Jalen Guyton as the starter or like the 3A, however you want to classify it. I think Josh Palmer, like I, I really changed my mind watching, re-watching the plays and just even though I wasn't watching him, there's just something special about him. And I think 
they don't have a speed element with Guyton out really. But I do think that with Mike Williams running, you know, 40% of his routes being go routes. And I honestly think Keenan Allen is a tremendous downfield wide receiver that doesn't get used enough. If you can kind of work in Josh Palmer, who did sort of mimic Mike Williams with the go routes. I just think he's, I think he's too talented. Like I think, I think there's the right answer is Guyton, but I think Palmer's going to make the, make it impossible for them to put Guyton on the field. I think that Palmer is just going to make enough plays and look good enough. And he will, I'm, I'm sure in training camp, he's going to be the most talked about player. He was almost last year because he looked incredible. And I think this year it's just going to look like that again. I think Palmer is the better of the two players. Guyton may be the more, more important player, depending on what they want to do. But I think you can manufacture enough downfield, even downfield with Everett, downfield with Carter, that I think Guyton's role is a little less maybe important. I think Palmer just being the better of the two players. I think I actually think Palmer is going to be the wide receiver three, which I wouldn't have said a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I think the thing for me that like maybe kind of swayed me one way or the other here uh, is the thing that Teresa pointed out that you know Jalen Guyton's now having a larger role on special teams and potentially playing Gunner um, and things like that. We haven't really seen him get many opportunities in that regard because he was like their wide receiver three. He he has been that guy. So I mean, he's still going to have a role for sure, and I think he's still going to get you know his. 25 30 snaps a game just because of that speed element they're the only other guy in this group for me that has like a deep speed profile would be maurice french um which we haven't really seen anything from him of course in the nfl um so that's just all based off of like his athletic testing and what he did in college at pittsburgh um but i do think we see josh palmer take on a, a significantly larger role um this year you know we're, i mean he essentially so he got 457 snaps on the season. So, you know, you're talking about, make sure my math is right here. Yeah. So you're talking about 25 snaps a game essentially last year. And I think this year you're talking about like 45 per game. So I'm going to go Palmer as well. Um, but like I said, I still think that Guyton is going to have a role to me. This is almost more mm-hmm. like a 3A, 3B situation. Yeah. Um, in terms of snaps, but I think Palmer, I, I feel good about him getting like 650, 700 yards on the season. If everybody is, is healthy, of course, but I think Palmer's going to have to have a, a huge role this year. Yeah. I think Palmer's going to cause a controversy this year. I think we're going to be worried about Mike Williams contract. I, I just feel good about Palmer. That would be, uh, I'm sure the the anti-Mike Williams guys will be very happy if that controversy happens. I mean, is it really a controversy if he's only here on like a two-year deal, basically? Like, I don't know if it's Depends. that much of a controversy. It's not like he's here on like a four-year, he's locked in for four years. I mean, Flesco basically gave him a three-year, that's a two-year. So, I mean, if they wanted to move on from him in that respect, if Palmer breaks out, they still could. Yeah, I guess it's more like the... Let's watch Trey Pipkin's block, and we could have given the money to another right tackle, but we're going to watch Mike Williams, uh, and then we could have just had Josh Palmer. That's unfair to both Williams and Palmer because that would be so quick this year, but I think at some point we're going to have a discussion where it's like, maybe Palmer should have been the guy. Yeah, I mean, we all figured that Palmer would be the Mike Williams replacement eventually. He at least was drafted to be Mike Williams' insurance. Um, and then I think Williams kind of had a better season than any of us really expected, especially after Joe Lombardi threw out a Michael Thomas comparison. So, um, 
like I said, I, I all three of these guys are going to have a big role for this team. Um, but yeah, this is kind of how I see it. So we'll move on to the next one here. Uh, the hot topic conversation, of course, the <laughs> right tackle position. Um, we've heard a lot of positive buzz uh, for Trey Pipkins recently. Um, you know, Duke Manningweather has been kind of pounding the table. I heard from a source that Pipkins looks great. He's had a fantastic offseason. Um, not really much buzz about Storm Norton this offseason. Um, really, all the focus there has been kind of on what Storm uh, does not do very well. Um, so we'll see, of course. And then you have the other guys that they, they claim Zach Bailey off of waivers. Foster Serrell was an undrafted free agent that they claimed um, after training camp cuts last year, I believe. Um, and then Andrew Trainer is an undrafted free agent as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyler has for our audio audience locked in is his anxiety. So um, <laughs> there's that. Um, I'll start this one off, I guess, because, you know, I, I think for me, I'm just kind of trying to figure out what the Chargers are necessarily looking for and what would give one of these players an edge over the other ones. And I think if you're looking at both of their weaknesses and strengths, they, they share a lot of similarities in terms of what their weaknesses are, you know, and that's a lot of hand placement issues. It's a lot of lunging and kind of trying to make sure that you get both of your hands on an opposing rusher at the same time that gave storm Norton a ton of problems against Micah Parsons and Max Crosby and other things like that. So um, Pipkins has been the same way and Pipkins has talked about that. Daniel Popper did a great article about the issues that he has had. So reportedly Trey Pipkins has been fixing those issues with Duke Manningweather. So I guess ultimately this is really Trey's job to lose just like it was last year. I feel like, that swing tackle spot was Trey's to lose heading into the offset or heading into the training camp in the preseason. And he lost it. Like, I think that is an important context point to, to make sure that we discuss because I mean, you're talking about a guy who gave up, I think six pressures against the Seahawks in the preseason game last year. So last preseason was not pretty. And it was pretty clear that Pipkins was the worst tackle when compared to Storm Norton, at least in the preseason games that we watched uh, last year. So I feel like it's the same situation this year. If Pipkins can show that he did improve and he solves those issues, then I think it's his job. And if he doesn't prove that he's the guy, then they'll go right back to Storm Norton, just like they did last year. So um, I think right now you have to put in Pipkins but again, like we need to see it come to fruition. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> the world's worst disastrous start to a preseason I've ever seen. I mean, the whole three-game stretch was a sack a lot of game, three pressures a lot of game, a penalty a game against guys that they didn't make the roster or they barely made the roster. But things have changed. Um, it's a lot of sight unseen. We're kind of making this call based on things that we assume are happening that we've heard are happening or have happened. But again, Norton, like if he were anything close to half decent, not a conversation, but he was so bad that it has to be a conversation. And now we're at a point where I, I do think it is Pipkins. Um, I mean, Steven, do you want to say who said the nice things about him? Because I think they provide some context. Uh, no, I'd like to. Okay. I don't know. Should I? I mean, does it matter? 
I don't think it does. I, I would like to keep that to myself personally. Okay. Um, and NSN asking if Pipkins can improve, why can't Storm? I think that is, a, you know, an important conversation to ask. I think you're really just talking about like natural athleticism. Um, you know, I mean, Pipkins had a great RAS score. That was really like why he got drafted as early as he did was just like, hey, there's really no more tackles that we think have this kind of upside. So let's just take a chance on on these athletic traits. And I don't think really Storm has that. I think Storm is, you know, a little bit longer, a little bit taller. Um, but I, I just don't think he has the athletic upside that Pipkins does. I mean, Storm's also 28, Trey's 25. So, yeah. I mean, again, Storm's not old, but if you were to bet on one of those guys to like have a breakout season or something, it sure. probably still be Trey Pipkins, especially considering how raw he was when he came into the league. So for me, I'd probably um, just say Trey Pipkins in that respect is more likely to improve if you have to pick between them. Uh, again, like Tyler said, this is a lot of sight unseen where, you know, kind of, yeah, I, I guess, stretching it here to say like, okay, Trey Pipkins looks better or people are saying he looks better. Um, that Seahawks game, by the way, was one of the worst games I've ever watched last year. And anytime they had anything positive happen, it would be like they score a touchdown and then this kind of like kicked, <laughs> kicked an extra point, like 20 yards to the right. Yeah. <laughs> so, I remember that Chase Daniel just like kept getting barraged. It was um but yeah no i i think pipkins has to kind of be the starter in a very uh similar way to what Teresa was saying in the chat which is like kind of already saw what storm is right i mean like storm can play some good games where he allows two or three pressures but he's gonna have that gargantuan game where he gives up eight or nine right and that's right. just something that the chargers can't stomach i think if they're to be a contender in 2022 Pipkins may end up having those games as well, which is why I think it's very important. Uh, as Steven said, it's Pipkins' job to lose, and he could very well lose it uh, like he did last year, whether that's uh, in the preseason training camp phase, whether that's, you know, week five, he has a really bad game, and they decide to put Storm in the next week. That could still happen as well. So, to, Or they go out and they sign a right tackle theoretically midseason. I wouldn't be shocked by that either. But based on everything we've heard in the building, based on what the beat reporters are saying, uh, based on the work with Duke Mannyweather as well, and, and, and sort of the perceived improvement of Trey Pipkins, um, I, I don't think there's any other answer here from week one. But almost in the same way that we were talking about wide receiver three with Guyton and Palmer, this could change by the end of training camp. This could change by the end of week four, right, where, you know, you start to see these changes, or maybe Pipkins just isn't playing well. But right now, um, hard to put anyone else other than Pipkins as the starter for now. Yeah, so a couple of questions in terms of like expectations here. Like Alex is saying, the Chargers don't need a great right tackle by any means. And I think that has influenced their decision making, especially, you know, drafting Zion Johnson. And, you know, you have four other really good to great offensive linemen, depending how you feel about Matt Filer and depending how how quick you think Zion Johnson hits the ground running. So they don't necessarily need an elite tackle at right tackle. Of course, that would be fantastic right but like alex is saying you just need somebody who's going to avoid though the the snowball game where you know you're blocking micah parsons and you get just beat a couple times and that turns into nine pressures or max crosby turns into 10 pressures like that's the thing that you need and it you know i always harken back to like sam tevy and what we always wanted to see from sam tevy was just get rid of the avalanche games and like you're fine because you see good football 
in other opportunities. And, you know, Pipkins had the issue, this issue in 2019 when he was a rookie, of course, some of that's unfair also in 2020 and Storm Norton had this issue last year. So whoever is just the most consistent, I think is ultimately going to win this position. Um, maybe they go out and sign a Riley Reef or, you know, a Darrell Williams, if the, both of these players are still just really struggling, but I think it would have to be like a truly last case resort. Like we don't feel good about either of these players heading into the season. Yeah. And I just wanted to say last point when it comes to like the schedule and stuff, and you look at the teams, the chargers are playing uh, at least early on in the season, we're going to find out like pretty quickly whether Pipkins can hold on to that job or whether it's going to go to someone else, because just the first couple weeks of the season, Vegas week one, Chandler Jones and Max Crosby, Kansas city week two, I know we don't like love Frank Clark on this show, but I mean, he's decent. And then you have George Karloftis there, Jacksonville, Josh Allen, and then Cleveland, I mean, Miles Garrett. So like you're, you're going to figure out whether this, you know, uh, right tackle situation is going to survive with Pipkins as the starter, or they decide to throw storm in or go in some other direction. I think fairly quickly. Hey man, Trey Pipkins low key kind of owns Frank Clark. So He's like the only defensive end in the NFL that he can play yeah. well against. So whopping one game sample size on that one. So well, two, two, oh, mm, two from his rookie season and from last year. So I'm just saying. I'll hold out on that for a bit. Mostly, most, <laughs> mostly being facetious right there. Um, <laughs> all right, let's move on to. Oh. Sorry, Tyler. What? Oh, sorry. In 2020, Pipkins only allowed one pressure against the Chiefs. I'm surprised. Oh, so mm. there's three. There's three game sample size against Frank Clark. There we go. Ooh. Um, all right, let's move on to the next spot here. Obviously, the Chargers interior offensive line in, in terms of starters are settled, locked in. Of course, you have Matt Filer, Corey Lindsay, and Zion Johnson, um, who will be the starters. The position battles are interesting. I Obviously, I think we all agree that Will Clapp will be the backup center. That's what he was signed to be. Um, the interesting debate, of course, is who's going to be that swing offensive lineman if either of the guards get injured. And what they do there. So uh, vying for those spots, of course, you have Brendan Hymas, who was drafted last year. Jamari Sawyer, who was drafted this year. Ryan Hunter, who, who Loki had a good preseason last year. And uh, I was kind of excited for you know him to see what he could do uh, this year if he's given a chance. Uh, and then you have Isaac Weaver, who is another undrafted free agent. So um, this ultimately for me is going to come down to really health of Jamari Sawyer because we've we've heard about the knee issue we've heard that he's healthy um but I, I think Jamari Sawyer is the more talented player and, and I think he is the guy that I would kind of lean towards just in a vacuum but Brendan Hymas has been in the system you know he's had time to adjust from college tackle to NFL guard Jamari Sawyer has not had that opportunity so this is going to be interesting to see who they ultimately choose but for now i think i would lean hymas just because he's been like he's had more time to develop he's had more time to practice the scheme and i think he's a little bit more athletic too so i would lean hymas for the interior offensive line swing player yeah the most we can hope for for salier unless somehow he plays right tackle is that he you know is kind of the depth guy and he works his all the himself all the way up to becoming you know, the backup interior swing guy. But that's what Hymas did last year already. I think like 
I know Sawyer is very exciting, and trust me, I want to see him on the field. But Hymas earned his way all the way up from the back end of the roster, kind of to work his way up to being that swing guy. Um, although he didn't end up because Kalamate and Schofield or whatever. But um, during the offseason and during training camp, like he looked yeah. good on the field, he earned the spot. So I think that, like, I don't know how much more we can expect from Salyer to do over that. So I'll go with Hymas here, especially because of that year. I would not be surprised if Salyer, though, was the extra, like, inline tight end sort of guy that they bring in uh, for certain packages. Yeah, and and please God have it be Salier over Trey Pipkins last year. Those first six games when he, <laughs> he was the headline <laughs> tight end, that was not a fun experience. Um, yeah, I'll go with Jaimes. I mean, it could be Salier, and this could be a situation where it sort of maybe changes midseason as Salier starts to get healthy, as he starts showing stuff in practice. Um, but for now, Jaimes does have a year in the system, healthier player at the moment, and you know. Uh, not much else to say there. Uh, I also think he does have that. Salier kind of has that additional versatility too, but Hymas has kind of been going up against these guys, you know, whether it's tackle in college and now, you know, guard in the NFL. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll go with Hymas here. Not by a lot, and it can certainly change by the end of training camp, but for now, I, I think he's the guy. Yeah, uh, Absolutely. I, I'm curious if anything happens to Corey Lindsley, what they would do there. I mean, they've shown in the past that they would just rather, you know, plug the one hole as opposed to like swapping two players positions. But I'm just so intrigued at the possibility of Zion Johnson playing center that I would almost prefer him be the backup center, if you will. So, but I think it would just be like Will Clapp comes in, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, fullback. This is the big one, of course. Uh, a very interesting story coming out yesterday from Pro Football Network um, about Zion or about Zion, about Xander's agent and how he was able to just really stay in touch with the Chargers and um, theoretically leverage the Chargers into drafting Xander Horvath. I feel like this is pretty cut and dry. They drafted a fullback. I think they have to choose the fullback that they drafted. So for me, it's it's Xander's job to lose. And he's the better athlete. So um, I'm going with Xander pretty clearly. Yeah, the dialogue surrounding who was going to win when they first drafted him was like, what is his role? Like, is he just, is he going to be a tight end? Is he Steven Anderson? Is he a pure fullback? Maybe he can be all those things. But the way the article, you know, the Chargers talk kind of, you could read between the lines. Like, they needed a fullback and they wanted to get a fullback and they wanted to go get Xander Horvath to pay fullback. So it just sounds like, not that that's a surprise. But it's just like, okay, you know for sure. It's not like Gabe Neighbors is going to be your fullback. Horvath is going to be your Steven Anderson. It just sounds like Horvath is your fullback. And so, yeah, I'm going with the same guy. <laughs> Put Horvath so we each have <laughs> bloodbath. Okay, there we go. Um, it is, I've never heard somebody named Alexander um, then therefore go by Xander. I wonder. I wonder how that uh, came to be about. Don't know. Um, there's no Z in the name, uh, so that's a little bit perplexing. But I don't know. Maybe he just watched that one. Uh, that one Vin Diesel movie. Um, so, so yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. whatever. Yeah, Xander yeah. Cage. Um, yeah, I think this is Xander Horvath, and it's kind of bolstered by the Pro Football Network story uh, from yesterday, where the Chargers didn't want to draft a fullback. That they didn't want to like draft that position. But Xander, you know, and the threat of him potentially leaving to another team in undrafted free agency, 
um, you know, that got them to kind of pull the trigger uh, with the seventh round pick. Again, like we're talking about a seventh round pick salary here, and there's going to be tons of sixth and seventh round picks that don't make rosters, right? For whatever reason, just maybe they're beat out by somebody else. And it's like, I just looked it up at the spot track because I was curious. It's a $77,000 dead cap hit if they cut Xander Horvath. So it's not like it's the end of the world if Gabe Neighbors somehow won that battle. But I do think what they want to do with Horvath and the fact that Neighbors was a healthy scratch for large portions of last year, maybe it kind of ends up being that way for Xander too, considering we think they're going to keep four running backs. But it seems like they kind of want Xander to be more active and that they you know, really wanted him as a player, even though the Chargers have been more analytically inclined you know we don't have arjun in the chat right now but it, you know i would guess that his stance is you probably don't draft a fullback but you do yeah. like the player a lot right and that's clear from the charter standpoint um so yeah this is Horvath. um i wouldn't say it's impossible that he loses the battle he very well could if neighbors beats him out um i think they'll just go with whatever guy wins in the preseason but for now it's it's like up to Horvath at the moment yeah, in terms of the article and LDE Bruin asking about which of the other AFC West teams would want him, um, the Chiefs and the Broncos don't or won't really use a fullback. So I think it was probably the Raiders, the Raiders I'm guessing, uh, because the Patriots do use a fullback quite a lot. So um, that's the interesting one. I just think like you can do more things with Xander because of his athleticism than you can with Gabe Neighbors. And, and we've seen you know, just more evidence of Xander having a role on a football team. Whereas Gabe Neighbors was kind of like the fourth or fifth tight end, if you will, essentially H-back hybrid kind of player on Florida State. Um, we've seen him carry the ball like two or three times, I think, if that. So I, I just think you can do more things with Xander. And I think he's, because of his athletic profile, is probably the better uh, special teams player. I guess a couple of people asking this in the chat, if you cut Gabe Neighbors, are you keeping him on the practice squad? I, I'm not really. I mean, I, it wouldn't surprise me, but I, they didn't keep a fullback on the practice squad last year. So I, I think you kind of keep those practice squad spots for, uh, you know, more developmental players or like guys that you would elevate in a pinch to play games. And I just, I, I don't see the point of keeping another fullback on the practice squad. I guess if you designate him, as a tight end, like he's, if Stone Smart's not healthy, he is your best practice squad receiving tight end. So it's possible he makes it for that. But yeah, I'm not like, I'm not torn up if they let him go. I mean, he's Herbert's buddy. Just put him on the practice squad and who cares? Um, <laughs> that's kind of my stance on it. Like, obviously, you would kind of want the practice squad to be uh, all of the depth positions you might need to activate for a game. But who cares? Just keep him on the practice squad. I don't, I don't care at this point. <laughs> all right we'll move on to the next one here which is tight end obviously you have gerald everett donald parham and Trey kitty locked into the roster um curious to see if there's any kind of sorting you know if trey mckitty maybe edges out parham for tight end two is a possibility mm-hmm. um but i think we, those three obviously all locked into the roster so the interesting one is of course going to be if they keep four tight ends and who is that tight end going to be or potentially you know a practice squad tight end so uh, in that spot, you have Hunter Camp Moyer, the undrafted free agent from last year out of the University of Oregon. Uh, Stone Smart, the undrafted free agent from this year out of Old Dominion. Uh, unfortunately, injured right now. Uh, some kind of foot injury that we don't really know a, a whole lot about. And then you have 
uh, Eric Cromanhook from uh, USC undrafted free agent from this year as well. So, Alex, any thoughts in terms of Camp Moyer versus Smart versus Cromanhook? Uh, if you had to pick one to make the roster, which area would you? <laughs> so I'll let you explain yourself to the audio audience for those who can't see what you just typed in. Yeah, I just typed in no in the box. <laughs> Look, I don't think it makes sense to have a fourth tight end at this point. Um, if Steven Anderson was still here, like that would be a legitimate, you know, a reason to have one on the roster. And maybe one of these guys, whether it's Camp Moyer or Croman Hooker Smart, proves themselves in training camp to be able to have that uh, uh, Anderson role as like a dual fullback uh, tight end. But at the same time, they just used the pick on Xander Horbath. They're carrying four running backs. And now you have a tight end one that you, you have three tight ends that can effectively block in Gerald Everett, Donald Parm, and Trey McKitty. Everett and McKitty, I would say, are, are two really good blockers. Why do you need a fourth tight end at this point? Um, if you The winner of Camp Moyer versus Smart versus Coleman Hook, fine. Put him on the practice squad. Uh, like At that point, I think that's fine. Um, I just don't see a real reason for having one of them on the roster at this point. And maybe the training camp or preseason changes my mind on that. Maybe Stone Smart gets healthy and shows us some of those flashes that we saw uh, or that was reported in minicamp. But for now, uh, I think that it's three tight ends. Yeah, I think it's three tight ends. My excitement here took a real nosedive with that picture of Stone Smart. I hope he's fine soon because I think it seems sounds like he had a really nice start to his very, 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 very brief career so far. Uh, Kent Moyer did take three snaps last year, uh, a whopping three snaps on the field. So, you know, <laughs> he he did play uh, against the yeah. Broncos. And I was I was surprised. I was watching, you know, just film. And all of a sudden he pops up garbage time. So, hey, you know, maybe, maybe they view him as an H-back. But, nah, I, I think this is a three tight end sort of deal. You have to chop off something somewhere. And sure, it could be linebacker. It could be quarterback. It could be running back. But, no, let's get rid of a tight end which i feel is far more useful in this offense but i think this is where they're going to make one of their cuts yeah i think really last year we probably would have seen them keep just three tight ends if trey mckitty were kind of healthy entering the year because we've heard from a few reporters that that was kind of the issue in divvying up the roles was that mckitty wasn't necessarily 100 percent healthy was still kind of mm. rehabbing from the knee surgery that he had at Georgia. Um, so I think you could see them keep a fourth tight end, maybe for like special teams purposes. And maybe that fourth tight end is like your neighbors of this year who you keep kind of as a healthy scratch, depending on, on um, you know, what is happening around the roster. So I, I would have, you know, really been intrigued to see Stone Smart and get that chance to improve upon his uh, mini camp performance. Because that really was like the area where if one of these guys was going to potentially carve out a roster spot was like, okay, who's going to be able to impact the passing game right. outside of being a blocker? And Stone Smart was that guy. So, I mean, Hunter Camp Moyer has a good special teams profile. He's a good blocker. He was a defensive end at Oregon for a little bit. So he has kind of that edge there. If they do want to keep a special teams player, that's where I would lean. Um, Eric Cromanhook, not much of a receiver at USC. He was basically, you know, an H-back tight end kind of guy. So him and Hunter Campmoyer, very similar players. So if there was going to be one that could separate, it was going to be Stone Smart. Um, but I think for me, I would say if I had to pick one, 
I think I would pick Hunter Campmore just because of special teams. Yeah. But I think they ultimately end up going with just the three. Yeah, I agree. And I was doing some random search and I believe Joe Lombardi, and granted he didn't have roster control at every spot, but I think the last three years with the Saints and then two years with the Lions, it was always three tight ends and a fullback. I think one year was two tight ends and a fullback. The only time they've ever had four tight ends was last year with the Chargers. So I think that yeah, that's what we're going to see. Well, they also had Taysom Hill. So We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're right. You're right. We have a Taysom Hill. His name's Easton Sick. <laughs> All right. That's uh, that's it for the offensive side of the ball. We'll move over to the defensive side of the ball. I think this is much more interesting in terms of carving out the roles and things like that. So we've already been here for 50 minutes. So uh, I guess strap yourselves in. Um, all right. For defensive tackle, I think we all can agree Sebastian Joseph Day is locked in as DT1. He's the guy that essentially, in my opinion, is, gonna, is never going to leave the field. He is the Justin Jones of this team, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. when Justin Jones was healthy. Um, so outside Austin Johnson in the list. No, uh, was that Alex? Okay, no tackle. All right. I was just wondering how we were managing yeah. that. Oh, okay. Never mind. Yeah. So I, I, I do agree with Tyler that. Austin Johnson is probably going to be your nose tackle and, and Sebastian Joseph day is going to be the one that kind of moves around the spots. Um, all right. So for this exercise, we have DT one B up for grabs. That essentially means uh, your DT two, essentially who's also going to be the starter when it comes to nickel packages, when they go to four defensive linemen, as opposed to five, um, who's kind of going to be that primary uh, second defensive tackle who's going to play a lot more snaps. Then we have DT3, DT4, and uh, potentially DT5 after that. So, of course, in this group, you have Jerry Tillery, Morgan Fox, Joe Gaziano, Tito Obonia. Oh, so you have this as not – so Austin Johnson's not in this conversation. Nah. He'll, he'll split up with the nose tackles later. Okay. So this is not Austin Johnson. That's my mistake. My bad. Um, all right, Tyler. So where are you leaning at in terms of that other three-tech <laughs> – Oh, I'm I so bummed I have to go first. Um, okay, well, one of us can go first if you don't. No, it's fine. Okay. I just, uh, I have to will this into existence and I have to agree with Madden. Please, for the love of God, make this happen. I hope that Morgan <laughs> Fox is your starter over Jerry Tillery. If nothing else, just because I want to see something different. And frankly, if Jerry Tillery were like a 40 something, you know, pressure guy and was just too good of a pass rusher to take off the field. 
sure, I could see him being the starter. And frankly, it wouldn't surprise me if Tillery were the starter in week one because, I mean, they did everything from letting him sit out the preseason to changing their entire defensive scheme and how they played to make Jerry Tillery and Kenneth Murray succeed. So I really think that there's a strong chance that it is Tillery. I got a will into existence, though. I'm going to go with Morgan Fox, and I do think he is he is good enough to take the job. It's not like this is Tillery versus Otito, and it's like, well, you know, Otito could be good, but eh, he's not going to you know start week one his first year. Morgan Fox is a veteran with Staley. He is good. He's at least as good of a pass rusher and a better run defender. So I think to me it is Morgan Fox, and I, God, I hope it is. Yeah, um, I think. When did they sign Morgan Fox? Was that May or yeah, late May after the draft? It was right, before, it was right before minicamp, so it would have been right May, before yeah. minicamp. Um, yeah, so I mean, for the longest time, even after they declined the fifth-year option on Jerry Tillery, which we all knew was going to happen, it still was like, oh, well, Tillery's still your best pass rusher available. Um, and then they signed Morgan Fox, and I think that really changed the perception on like what Tillery is. Uh, I'm going to put Fox as my uh, DT1B as well. Um, that just seems to be the direction that things are headed. I actually don't think there's a strong chance that Jerry Tillery is DT1B at all. I don't think he's anywhere near the cut line. Um, there have been like some roster yeah. projections where Tillery gets cut or something like that. I just don't think they have the ability to do it because who are you replacing him with? Like Eric Banks. I don't know if you, <laughs> if you want to call him or something. No. <laughs> there's, not, there's not a whole lot left to replace him with and so i mean tillery is still going to be uh, an important part of your pass rush um hopefully it's the last year we're saying that but to me the chargers let you know how they felt about your tillery when they declined his fifth year option um and that to me is it at the end of the day and if you bring in fox who's a guy that has steely familiarity is a better run defender equal or better pass rusher in some respects um I think that's the end of the conversation at the end of the day. Had they picked up the fifth-year option, um, I would think differently, but uh, they didn't. So, I mean, to me, that's why Tillery gets knocked down to the DT3 uh, spot in this exercise. Yeah, that's a good point. I completely forgot about the fifth-year option declined part. Yeah, because if they were picked up, not a conversation. Probably not even a conversation, but it is. Uh, oh, I see what Alex is doing. Okay. Yeah, so... knew it, Stephen. I know you're going to put Tillery at DT1B. I saw your <laughs> face. The entire, the entire uh... segment, I saw your face. I know. <laughs> like I, I really wish that this is the case. Like I, I, I mean, I have this as my name, right? And I, like I want Fox over Tillery, and I totally see what you guys are saying. I like a lot of people will say, like you know, this was you know, pushed on them by the front office. Like we heard from a few people within that building that there was just kind of an accountability problem last year. And I hope that has changed. I really do. But I, it's kind of a, a, I'll believe it when I see it thing. I just think that they're going to try and continue to make Jerry Tillery a thing. I absolutely think that Morgan Fox is going to have a role, but I just, I, I think that Tillery is still going to be, you know, a quote unquote starter and, and play a lot of snaps for this team. And um, then they'll just essentially move on next year. You're, you're probably going to be right, but I could not will myself to, to put Tillery at DT1B. I just, I had to throw that out there into the universe and hope it's done. <laughs> 
I, I think had they not signed Morgan Fox in quite the way that they did, like, you know, almost immediately after they signed Bryce Callahan and like when they were kind of going through that week where they just signed Staley's guys and it was, it was viewed as a post-draft hole for them immediately after declining his option. That just signals stock down to me. I would not be shocked if Hillary is the guy week one, but the fact that we even are having like conversations about the cut line in some way. And the fact that, uh, the tone in the building seems to have changed on Jerry Tillery dramatically from week one last year to declining his fifth-year option now. Um, I, I think they value Fox in that spot, probably. Yeah, I I agree. Like, I, I think we could certainly see a phasing out throughout the season. Yeah. But I just think, you know, they're going to see some flashes again in training camp. Like that's the thing with Jerry Tillery is that he's super inconsistent. And that is absolutely a problem. But when he does play well, like he's he does play like he has those flashes that mm-hmm. you know people can kind of talk themselves into Tillery being a serviceable player again. And you know, even against Zach Martin, that you know when they were playing the Cowboys, like Tillery won some reps, and it they it was an impressive victory for him. And you're just like. Why can't you just do this more often and not just be atrocious when it, that's the thing, right? It's like you see him get, you know, destroyed in the run game by guys like Terrence Steele and that clip that Theo Ash pointed out yesterday from the Giants left guard. And, you know, like you see those things on tape, but then you also see the good things. And I think Tillery's going to flash some really great plays in training camp. They're going to talk themselves into him. And then it's going to yeah. take like just uh, a phasing out throughout the season for me is kind of how I see it playing out. Yeah. Do you think both of them sit out the preseason? I think Fox plays the preseason. I think Tillery plays sparingly. Okay. I mean, that'll, that'll obviously tell us right there where things are trending. Yeah. Um, DT4, I think, is absolutely Tito. They drafted mm-hmm. him. Um, you know, he's kind of that developmental project that, you know, they, they need to see uh, some things for. I think there is, uh, you know, some people think that he's kind of like the backup nose tackle. And he <laughs> certainly could take some snaps at nose tackle. But I think you're you're trying to kind of set yourself up, uh, set him up for success. And I think you're trying to avoid double teams as much as possible. Mm. So for me, I think you put him at kind of like a three, four technique start out. Let him kind of work himself into if he is going to be a future nose tackle. Like he, I think he needs time to develop that. So, um, but I think he is DT4 comfortably. I will say though that Joe Gaziano, every time he's in the games that I was watching, he made some good plays, man. I like, I really mm-hmm. wish they would give Joe Gaziano a chance because, uh, you know, he is a good player when he's out there. Yep. Absolutely agree. Uh, all right so for nose tackles i think we all agree that austin johnson's kind of locked in as nose tackle one um behind him they have christian covington brain fajoko forrest merrill um andrew brown did play a little bit of nose tackle against the steelers although he's physically he's kind of more of a a three tech but that's where he played last year so and like i said tito could take some snaps here but they are gonna i think they are going to carry six defensive linemen i think they did learn that lesson this year last year I think they need that depth. So this is really a Covington versus Fajoko battle for me. 
Alex, any chance you think Forrest Merrill can kind of, you know, come out of the dark like he did last year and, and maybe seize this role? Probably not. Um, I'll say there's a chance of it in theory, just because we've seen him flash in some spots. Um, and I mean, he did for just a few seconds make the final roster last year. Um, so, you know, I think the coaching staff does like him in the capacity that they have him, but I think they want to go with someone who is a little bit more of a mover than Forrest Merrill is. Um, so I think sure. they'd probably go with Covington or Fahoko. Um I'm going to say they go with Fahoko. Um, I just think, and, and maybe it ends up being Covington because they, you know, uh, brought him back on his one year uh, vet minimum deal. Um, but I don't know. Covington just wasn't very good last year. Um, I he think that there, he was yeah, very bad. He, he was very bad. Uh, he, you know, I, I think he gets the heat taken off of him because uh, Taylor replayed and just our expectations for Tillery. Uh, in some of those respects, but Christian Covington was not anything special last year. I still think if you're kind of like looking at this situation almost as if it's like, um, who are we, you know, we were talking a little bit about like Trey Pipkins uh, and uh, Storm Norton a little bit in terms of the tackle spots. And, you know, when you kind of look at these players as well, it's sort of a similar dichotomy. Uh, Braden Vahoko is 25. Christian Covington, I think, is turning 29. Um, so if you're betting on one of those guys to, like, break out, again, how much can you really break out as a nose tackle, too? Um, but I still think you're looking at Fahoko to kind of have that upside. Um, you know, he's made it through, uh, you know, multiple kind of iterations of this team, being on the roster, being on the practice squad. Uh, so I give it to Fahoko. And at some point, if we say that the Chargers are this like analytics-based organization and they value analytics and stuff like that, Fahoko is very positive and, and things like run stop rate, um, as you know, Tyler keeps mentioning. So for me, I, I think Fahoko is the nose tackle too. It could end up being Christian Covington, but um, at some point, and maybe they just view this spot as a body and they'll give it to Covington. But for me, I think Fahoko just shows you consistently more from rep to rep as a player. Um, and Christian Covington was just downright bad at the end of last year. So uh, I would go with Braden Pahoko here by quite a bit. Yeah, I uh, absolutely agree with you. I, I think if you're talking about their performances on the field, um, there's no question to me that Braden Pahoko was the more productive player last year. And obviously the stats backed that up, the film backs that up. Um, Christian Covington had 264 snaps against the run. And he had 13 run stops. That's 5.1% stop percentage. Uh, Brain Foco logged 65 snaps against the run and had 10 <laughs> run stops and basically 200 snaps fewer than Christian Covington. Uh, so his run stop percentage was 16.1%. Uh, Brain Foco did not miss any tackles. Christian Covington missed four tackles. Uh, of course, you have, you know, there's the more snaps you play, the more likely you are to miss a tackle. But even average depth of tackle, mm-hmm, Rain Fogo's average depth of tackle was 2.7. Christian Covington was 3.6. So in a world where you're asking this player to come in and contribute and really be an effective player. And I think like we're learning more about what the Chargers are trying to look for in their defensive linemen. And I keep on saying this, right? Like something that Sebastian Josete, Austin Johnson do really, really well 
is they control their their point of attack and then they are able to shed the blocker and make a play on the ball. It was a big issue last year with Jerry Tillery, with uh, even Justin Jones at certain times, with Linval Joseph at times, and it was a big, big issue with Christian Cummington. He just can't do that. If you're asking him to be a little bit more aggressive and shoot gaps, I think Cummington is more effective in that role. But if you're asking somebody to take on a blocker shed that blocker and then make a play on the ball like that to me is Fahoko, like by a country mile like it's not even a close conversation so i this ultimately i think is going to come down to do they want a, a more veteran presence do they want a younger presence because they have you know it is a relatively young room austin johnson's kind of the elder statesman if you will but even he's not super old so do they want a veteran like Covington? Do they want a younger player like Fahoko? I don't know. I, I think this should be Fahoko, but I just have this seed of doubt that they don't view him the same way that we all do and the way that the analytics do. And I, I think part of me thinks that they're just going to choose Christian Covington. This is so tough, man. I, I do think when you're talking about pass rush versus, you know, or just a pure run stopper or whatever, I do think because they're likely expanding it to six that you kind of can have a more specialized guy like Fahoko who's literally just going to be a run stopper. Whereas before, like you needed Covington because if you know this person went down, then he'd have to slide it to maybe play some defensive tackle or maybe be a pass rusher or sure. be Limbaugh Joseph's backup. But now because you have six, I feel like you can add that more specialized Braden Fahoko. Yeah, I want this to be Fahoko so bad. Um, I, I do want the youth movement. I, I want it for not that Covington's a, a bad locker room player or anything, but like I want this for Fahoko and I want this for the locker room. And I want, you know, that I feel like it would be good culture building if you if you won a job because he's, you know, fought through being an undrafted free agent, fought through one regime, fought through the next regime, cut, 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 cut. But every time he's on the field, he makes plays. I mean, it's sort of almost an Adrian Phillips kind of route where it's like, oh man, like you just, you know, a lot of trouble to start yeah. his career because he just couldn't stay on the field because they kept cutting him. But man, like you saw some plays and it's like, man, you should give him a little bit more. And Staley right down the street has Greg Gaines as an example of what you can do if you just work with a guy who, and who's, you know, puts up decent numbers, but, you know, not in a big set yet and keep develop, developing him on the way to Greg Gaines had what, 38 pressures this past season. Now, I don't think Fahoka will have that this year if he had the same role, but I just I want them to be able to develop him and and show the roster that you can earn this. Like I'm not just only going to go with the veteran guys or only my guys. Like if you show out and you earn this, you'll get it. But I still think it's Covington and it hurts my soul to say that. <laughs> um I really wanted to go for Hoko, don't get me wrong. And listen, I'd be all thrilled for it. I just this whole interior defensive line situation last year felt like a who I prefer personally for the coaching staff versus maybe who was better. And I think that I'll have to see that change this year. You know, mm -hmm. there's plenty of guys that should have been there over Banks, but it was the guy that they wanted personally that was there. And I think Covington is the guy that they have some sort of a little bit more personal attachment to, I think. Yeah. So a couple of you asking about Fahoko potentially being on the practice squad. If he gets cut, I I don't think he's sticking around. Um, I think he's if not. You're, if you're cutting people and bringing them back to the practice squad, you're talking about 
maybe Joe Gaziano at this point. I don't know if he would want to stick around either. Um, but Forrest Merrill would be that guy. Andrew Andrew Brown probably would be that guy. So um, I, I really I, I'm doing the Tillery Fox thing here. I'm putting Fahoko just because I, I want to will nice. this one into existence. But like I said, just a, a small part of me really thinks that they're going to choose Christian Covington. Um, they could very well choose Covington. I'm also kind of going off Oak on the basis that I've heard Staley say more positive things about him. And maybe yeah. that ends up being nothing, right? I mean, coaches, you know, there's coach speak all the time. But never really heard, you know, uh, Brandon Staley talk about Christian Covington in the way that he has with Braden Vohoko when it comes to, you know, calling him things like a multiplier, right? He does everything right for the defense and, and allows plays to, you know, keep on multiplying and, you know, uh, get, you know, better run blocks and all that stuff. So for me, I, I just lean towards Fahoko here because of what we see in the analytics, but also if we're evaluating the coaching staff and what they've said about these things too, I do think they favor Fahoko, um, but we'll see. I will move on to the linebackers here, a position where I feel like there's nobody really like locked in into a role. Um, mm -hmm. I think you obviously have players locked into a roster spot. You yeah. know, Kenneth Murray, Drew Tranquil, Troy Reader, I feel like are absolutely making the roster. Uh, Eamon Ogbong-Lamigo, we had heard some really good things about uh, in the offseason before they signed Troy Reader. So maybe he potentially is locked into a spot. Nick Neiman, they drafted last year. He's kind of their special teams guy. So maybe he's locked in. And then you have, uh, Cole Christiansen, you have Damon Lloyd, uh, Tyreek Maddox Williams, right? Yeah, I think so. Maddox Williams, the uh, undrafted free agent from Rutgers, right? That's the yes. One. There we go. So, um, I, of course, a lot of this up in the air with Kenneth Murray in terms of his health. Uh, you know, he posted a great screenshot uh, on Instagram yesterday mm -hmm. doing some mental health walks. So I love that, you know, That's Kenneth awesome. Murray is, is advocating for himself. Um, you know, taking the chances and doing the necessary steps to make sure that he is uh, mentally well, which I think is fantastic to see a, a professional athlete do those. So um, I talked about this the other day for me, linebacker 1A. I really, it has to be Drew Tranquil for me. I think he is the player that I trust the most in this regard um, in, in terms of playing and, and filling that role and making plays as a pass rusher and defending the run and, uh, just how much of a, a good communicator he is. So I think for me, Drew Tranquil is linebacker 1A. The rest wow. is is a lot of up for the grabs and question marks for me. I, I have to completely disagree. I don't see how there's any chance unless Murray's leg falls off that he's not LB1A. I think Tranquil will start as a 1B, but I just think that like, no way. I, I, don't, I don't see it with Tranquil. If they review the film last year, and say that Tranquil was better. I hey, I'm, I would completely agree. I just don't believe that he would be the one A, especially with the way things finished last year. Yeah, I have to go with the Kenneth Murray too. Um, it, would it shock me if Tranquil was one A? I, I guess if you're saying just strictly from starting the season and who's healthy, maybe not. Right, just because we'll see later this week if Murray's put on pup or anything like that. Uh, sure. regarding his injury and whether he's able to go from the beginning. But I still think, look, Kenneth Murray is a first-round pick. Um, we've seen what coaching staff and the people in the building think of him. I think you probably have to pencil in Kenneth Murray as linebacker 1A, regardless of whether he's earned that or not in this point in his career. It's almost like they have to have Kenneth Murray work out 
So for me at this point, you know, you still pencil him as linebacker 1A. I don't want that to happen, man. I, I think Murray needs, I think Murray needs some time. I think he really needs to like work through some things. Yeah. I'm not saying he doesn't need time, but at, at this point, like it's kind of sink or swim, right? He's a first round pick, and you have to throw him out there as your linebacker one A uh, for what he was drafted to do, right? And so they just have more invested in Murray um, than they do tranquil at the end of the day. Uh, wrong, Speedy. You are absolutely correct. Derwin James is the best linebacker on the team. <laughs> And a lot of things. I'm and sure. a lot of other things. He'd probably be the best uh, tight end on the team for all we know. <laughs> the guy's a freak athlete. So, um, 1B, I guess I'll put Marie there. I mean, I I don't know. In terms of like starting the season, I do feel like it's going to be Tranquil and Reader, and then Marie kind of works his way back into that role. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess you guys are kind of swaying me there. I, I mean, listen, they... They went with the flow last year with this position group. It was Murray. It was White. And then Murray kind of got hurt. And then they said, hmm, we kind of like this White Tranquil you know, pairing. So if Murray's not starting the season, which is possible, um, because he's hurt, and Tranquil and Reader just look really, really good, and they're shutting down Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Josh Jacobs or whatever, <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe you don't have it. Like, what are you supposed to do? So I, I guess Murray will be back at edge or something by week three. Oh God! Jesus, oh, that happens. Um, <laughs> ooh, I'm gonna go reader as linebacker one B. Um, yeah, I could see that. Now this gets kind of complicated with how we're interpreting this because Kyle Van Noy, obviously, we don't consider him a linebacker, but he's going to be playing some linebacker as well. Um, so you, you do have to consider that and factor that into the linebacker position, even though we're more classifying him as an edge to this point. But Troy Reader, even though I don't think he's very good at football currently, does fit the vein of what Brandon Staley did with Bryce Callahan. Um, he fits the vein of what Brandon Staley uh, did, as we were talking about earlier in the show, with just some of the guys they picked up uh, this offseason. So for me... I think Reader, just in terms of how Staley wants to utilize him, probably is the linebacker 1B. Again, him and Tranquil, I think, are going to get pretty comparable playing time. I don't think it's by a lot that one is like linebacker 1B and one's 3. It could be a 1 and 2 situation or a 2 and 3, however you want to put it. But I do think Reader is going to play more significant snaps and isn't just a depth signing. He, he has, mm-hmm. even though I don't think he's as good as... Uh, as Callahan or Morgan Fox per se, I do think he gives off those vibes in terms of how they want to use him in a Staley system. And considering Tranquil, you know, might play some special teams, considering Tranquil's entering the last year of his deal, I think they lean reader over Tranquil, but um, maybe Tranquil convinced him on his podcast. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um just revisiting a lot of these numbers here for a second. Um, oh, don't. <laughs> in terms of the current Chargers linebackers, Kenneth Murray had the highest missed tackle rate at 19.4. Jesus. Which is fantastic. Troy Reader was second on that list at 14.1. Um, where's Drew Tranquil at? I can't find him. 
Kaiser White's missed tackle rate was fantastic. Drew Tranquil's missed tackle rate was 5.9. He's still not starting, Steven. <laughs> <laughs> Drew Tranquil's missed tackle rate was the 10th best in the league among every linebacker that logged 20% of the snaps. Mm. What are uh, we doing here? I mean, Jerry Tillery and I would probably have the same run stop rate, but Jerry Tillery <laughs> was out there for like 80% of the snaps. Again, I don't think you're wrong, right? If if you just, you know, put a person with a blindfold on and you just read the numbers to them, they would probably select Tranquil as the linebacker 1A. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that's gonna how it's going to work with considering how much they have wrapped up in Kenneth Murray. Um, they just need him to succeed. This is kind of the space Tillery was entering last year. Um, you know, so it's it's a sink or swim season for him. And I think they have to at least allow him from the start of the season uh, to see what he has. All right. Well, I hope this is Murray can play a lot, man. I, I need Tranquil over over Troy Reader at minimum. But uh, yeah, we'll see. In terms of the young guys, how do you guys see it? It looks like Tyler has Neiman as LB4, Alex put uh, Agabong Bamiga as LB4. So I think <laughs> you guys are both. <laughs> Put in different ways. Any chance that they cut uh, a linebacker five and only carry four? Do you guys think? Because I think it is, you know, Kyle Van Noy, mm -hmm. potentially some linebacker. I think that could cost probably Amen a job because Neiman's yeah. special yeah. teams value. Yeah, I mean, I could see them going for linebackers. Um, the fifth is mainly, I think they're going to keep Neiman for sure. Uh, I think Lindsay Theory did the projection where they cut Neiman, but he's just too important on special teams. I think he'll get some more playing time this year too. Um, but yeah, I, I could see Ogbong Bamiga getting cut if you know Kyle Van Noy is going to be playing more linebacker than we currently think. Uh, so they could go for linebackers, but ultimately Neiman's on the team either way. So yeah, I do think if that... If push comes to shove, then it would be Agbong Fumiga losing the job. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that I actually think they're going to go with four linebackers, and I think they're going to find a way to keep both Dean Leonard and Jasir Taylor on the roster. Whereas we were kind of thinking of like one or the other. Well, not sorry, them along with maybe like a Devon Campbell and Kimon Hall. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, lots to sort out on the back end of the roster for sure. I will move on uh, quickly to the last few positions here for the secondary. Um, at outside corner, of course, you have J.C. Jackson locked into his role as CB1. Um, we talked a little bit about the CB2 battle between Asante Samuel Jr. and Michael Davis yesterday. We'll dive in a little bit more today. And then you have CB3 outside. So for me, that's like Tavon Campbell, Dean yeah. Leonard, and then kind of the loser of Asante Samuel Jr. and Michael Davis, and then CB4 as well. So um, I said this yesterday. I'm going with Asante Samuel Jr. as CB2 on the outside. I think he just gives you a higher upside, a higher floor at this kind of point. You drafted him. You spent a top 50 pick on him. You have to develop him. And he, and he showed a lot of really good things last year, particularly in terms of his ball skills, in terms of his recover ability. I think just the concussions really affected him from like a personality standpoint. We didn't really see him be the same kind of aggressive corner that we saw in the first part of the season and in college. So I think he gets back to that. I think after training camp, like this is Asante's job by a, a wide margin for me. I don't know. We'll go with wide margin, but I do agree with you guys. I, I did say it was Davis to start 
the off season or whatever. But yeah, I think it's ASJ and deservedly so. I love ASJ. Yeah, um, I think you go ASJ on the outside. And Michael Davis is still going to play a lot. Like that's a distinction. Yeah. No matter how you number these guys, whether it's Davis as CB two, ASJ as CB two, um, I, I still think ooh, my light fell. Uh, depending on how you rotate these guys in and out, I think that. Uh, you're going to still need Davis, especially, for example, in those first two weeks where they play uh, Travis Kelsey and they play Darren Waller. You're still going to need Michael Davis on the field, even though Derwin James will take some of those matchups as well. Um, but I would still say that ASJ, again, because of the pick you invested in him and because of some of the flashes he showed before he got hurt last year. Um, yeah, he's he's CB2, I think, on the outside. Um, yeah, we, we all think Michael Davis is safe on this roster, right? Yeah, I see the comment from Beach Bum seven five six eight that he could be a surprise cut. I just like why? Like, no, you, you don't have no. Any... There's no incentive to cutting him. Like if if they were to cut yeah. him, they would have done it in earlier in the offseason, or they would have traded him or done something. But you lose depth by cutting him, and you can cut him yeah. next year and save seven million anyway. So there's there's no yeah. incentive to doing it. I mean, you're you're listening to Brandon Staley talk in the offseason about like we need to get deeper in the secondary. We're always going to be looking for cornerbacks. I think if you cut Michael Davis, then you're you're in the same position that you were last year, just with like a better CB1 and JC Jackson. So you would be essentially locked into JC, Asante, Bryce Callahan as your starters. But then if if and when Bryce Callahan gets hurt, then you're asking Kimon Hall, Jasir Taylor to be a starter. And then you're in the same position as you were last year in terms of your depth, where you're just kind of searching for answers and i think you have a legitimate answer in davis as your cb3 and i think like he's he's too valuable to cut at this point absolutely all right in terms of the cb4 um you're talking about Tavon campbell dean leonard um you know we talked a little bit about this a few times i think the the conversation here is similar to some other conversations how much do you want a young guy that you can develop versus the veteran that you know and you potentially trust to kind of exceed in your role. And I think Tavon Campbell did play some good football over the last two years as as a backup cornerback. But Dean Leonard is your draft pick. Dean Leonard is your younger player. I said this yesterday, Never, basically never played man coverage. So he is as raw as it gets in terms of a, a developmental project. So Tyler, we'll start with you. Where are you leaning in terms of Leonard and Campbell? It's really tough, uh, but like I said a, a bit ago, I actually do think that they'll go with four linebackers and find a way to keep both Campbell and Leonard, or Hall and Leonard, I guess. But I think it's worth keeping both, uh, even though I don't feel great about Campbell starting at any point in the season, kind of like a Christian Covington. I still do value what he has in his role, but between those two guys, between Leonard and between Campbell... I'm still leaning Campbell until I see more from Leonard. And I, w- I do want to see more from Leonard. I appreciate what he's done so far. It sounds like he's been great, but I got to see a little bit more. And over the next few weeks, I will be able to see it in person. Um, I just think Campbell brings enough and they did think highly enough of him. Um, I think Campbell is going to be, if I had to pick someone to win CB4, I think it's Campbell. Yeah, this is maybe the position on this roster where I think training camp and preseason determines it the most honestly like if you're going with a tiebreaker type scenario um i'll go with tavon campbell just because of what we've seen from him at times um i also think you can afford to put 
Dean Leonard on the practice squad. If it comes to that, you can carry him on the roster too if you want to go with five um, outside corners. So they still have flexibility there. Um, I just think ultimately, right, we saw ASJ get hurt last year. Uh, we've seen Michael Davis and ASJ both get benched at points. I think they value having the veteran here as opposed to Dean Leonard. I still think they like Dean Leonard, obviously, a lot as a prospect enough to draft him. Um, but for now, for 2022, um, I would say pretty clearly Campbell. Yeah, I, in terms of like what we've seen from the Chargers last year, right? Like, you know, Brandon Faison headed into the training camp last year as kind of like the starter. And then Asante Samuel Jr. and Tavon Campbell were kind of like your backups. And obviously, we heard a lot of positive buzz about Asante. We didn't really ever hear a ton about Tavon Campbell. We heard a lot about, um, shoot, I totally just blanked on his his name. Um, Brandon. He's on the, uh, Jonathan Brandon, is that the, that's the one? Yeah. The one that got cut, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, we heard, like, oh, he's having all these interceptions, all these pass breakups, like he was getting all this buzz, and they still chose Campbell, and I think rightfully so at the end of the day. So I think it would take a lot for Dean Leonard to win this position battle and, like, be uh, locked in as CB4 over Campbell, but I do think there is a chance that they still keep him. Like, he is, like, like, there's a lot of athletic upside here for sure. We'd have to work some things around, but them keeping seven cornerbacks, I think, is is definitely not out of the question. I think it is a possibility. But I think in terms of mm-hmm. this specific role, I think I'm going to go with the veteran and, and go with Campbell. Yep. All right. Uh, slot cornerback, the, the second slot cornerback, if you will. Really kind of third, I guess, depending on how you feel about yeah. what they do with Asante, how much they put Derwin in the slot or, or Mark Webb or whatever. But – um, this is Jasir Taylor, Kimon Hall. I think it's pretty clearly Taylor for me. You know, Kimon Hall did have some good moments in preseason. Um, there were a couple of good plays that he had. Um, was it the Steelers game that he played that he was that he was called up? Oh boy, I don't remember. But no, no, no. It was the Giants game. It was the Giants game. I just watched it. Yeah, he had a couple of good plays against uh, against the Giants. I, I like what he brings to the table as a blitzer in particular but i i think they drafted taylor i think i trust him more in coverage so i i'm going with taylor for this uh second slot corner spot yeah i'll go with taylor as well um i don't think there's too much surprise here um the only thing i'll say is because we did hear that report that came on hall is kind of working in that gunner role uh, on special teams with Jalen guyton um if they don't want Jalen Guyton to play special teams because he'll still play a significant enough role as a wide receiver, three or three B, maybe you keep Kimon Hall in that case uh, and just have him as the gunner. But it's not like Sear Taylor might not, you know, can't play that role particularly either. If they want to keep him, Sear Taylor was the draft pick. They gave him a four year deal. Um, so I think for all intents and purposes, uh, you just have to put Taylor in that slot, but I wouldn't be shocked if they find some way to keep uh, Kimon Hall or they keep Kimon Hall in the practice squad and maybe they elevate him some certain weeks. Um, if Jalen Guyton gets hurt and they need a gunner or something, you know, whatever. Yeah, I know Darius Swinton really liked him in terms of his special teams ability. I don't know if hmm. that's enough to <laughs> based on the film. I liked his special teams ability a little bit less. <laughs> All right, move on to the safety position. Of course, you have Derwin James and Asir Adderley locked in. 
team drafted JT Woods uh, this year in the third round. Uh, they drafted Mark Webb last year, although he gillen the year before that. And then Ben DeLuca was an undrafted free agent uh, last year as well. So I think for me, safety three pretty clearly is JT Woods. Um, you know, I think this is going to bring a lot of versatility to this unit and, and really give them more options in terms of what they can do in the nickel, what they can do in dime, and just give them a premier athlete back there. I really like the, the potential of Adderley and Woods as your two deep safeties and allowing Derwin James to be around the box a lot more. I think that is going to be a lot of fun. So Woods clearly, for me, safety three. I concur. Mm-hmm. I concur with Alex's next pick. Yeah. Um, I think this is pretty clearly Woods and Webb. Uh, sad for, you know, Alohi, I guess. Uh, but uh, to me, if you keep four safeties on this roster, the coaching staff has just praised Webb quite a bit more. Um, I think Webb, when he's been on the field, and there's not really like an injury tiebreaker here, right? They've both been hurt at times. Um, so for me, I think yeah. you lean kind of with the upside there. Also a pick of the Staley regime, Gilman a pick of the Lynn regime. So I think it's pretty clearly Woods and Webb. I, I will say I'm curious what his health status is going into the year. Yeah. Does he, like yeah. when I when I go to training camp, is Webb even playing? So we'll, we'll see uh, what his health is. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing with with Webb right now. I I think in terms of skill set, in terms of talent, absolutely favors Webb for me. I think Alohi Gilman just really kind of struggles in this scheme. Like I think in, if you're talking about kind of a box safety guy who can uh, be around the, around the line of scrimmage, cover tight ends, potentially in, in a pinch, you know, that cover three scheme just fit Gilman better. But I think if you are talking about a scheme where, you know, you have to come from uh, a too high shell, you know, you shift through the traffic and you have to make plays on the ball. You have to cover the slot. You have to cover tight ends. You're just asked to do so many more things. I think that's Webb, and I, I I just don't really trust Gilman's vision from way far back when he is asked to be a deep safety. I just think there's a lot of issues there. He's not really able to to you know shift through or sift through traffic, excuse me, in the same way that a guy like Webb would be, Woods would be. It, for me, it's just kind of a vision thing that yeah. I don't trust with Gilman. Sorry, this is random, but it just dropped. Uh... John Mechie was diagnosed with a curable form of leukemia. He's not playing this season. Oh, shit. Yeah. Man. That's so, crazy. Yeah. That's so sad. I mean, he comes off in the ACL and gets oh. leukemia. Yeah, I mean, it, it, obviously, he's. it sounds like he's in good hands, and it's, it's a curable form, and it should be fine. But awful situation. I can't believe that. Yeah, press up to him. Hmm. I can't imagine. You, you just never associate, you know, somebody that age, you know, with yeah. anything. So it's just that's a bummer. But I'm sure the Houston Texans will take. Um, that's I'm not going to finish that sentence. <laughs> I, I meant it earnestly, but <laughs> I'm talking about the Texans. Can we let's <laughs> trade for him so he can actually, you know, get good care? But uh, uh, yeah, hope, hopefully he's able to fully recover from this. I mean. At least it's that kind of leukemia, I guess. But I'm sure never, the Texans like, will have that situation settled. Yeah. You just never really associate, you know, cancer with professional athletes like that. It's just it sucks every time. I mean, they're in such good shape, right? Like it's just sad. But uh hopefully he's able to recover. So 
Uh, that's the last one, right? Yep. Ended on a happy go. note. A <laughs> uh, full hour and a half of uh, position battles. <laughs> so um, if you are, are just watching this now, uh, let us know what you think of all of these position battles and, and who you think is going to win. Uh, if you think that there are, is going to be a surprise cut that we talked about, you know, let us know. So, uh, Tyler, any final thoughts on the uh, position battles on training camp as we uh, head into the start of that on Wednesday? Well, yesterday after a Q&A that was decided by the fans and we just answered fans' questions, someone said that we didn't cover the charges enough. Uh, I hope that our 93-minute episode was good enough for you. I don't know how much we talked about food, but I hope it wasn't <laughs> too much for you. I'll be at training camp all week. I'll be there most days except for one Sunday and two Thursdays. So you can come say hi. I'm awful at remembering faces, um, but I'll be there with a pen and paper, binoculars and optimism. So I can't wait to be there. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Tyler, Tyler did bring binoculars for both of us last year and it was, uh, I made fun of him at it for it at first, but it ended up being uh, very useful. So uh, definitely go say what up to him. I unfortunately will not be able to make it this year. Uh, packing and moving is, is uh, going to be taking up my time over the next few weeks. So, but it's all good. Obviously, that's a good reason to miss training camp. Uh, Alex, any uh, final thoughts here, man? Uh, yeah, excited for training camp. Excited to get into it. Um, I'm sure by the time we actually get to the roster selections, there's going to be guys that we don't even know, like uh, Eric <laughs> Banks and you know all those post-roster construction signings last year. Um, but if we're just going with the guys now, this is what we believe is going to happen. Uh, obviously, it can change over the course of training camp and stuff, but excited to finally get back to football and maybe talk about food a little bit less, but I, there should still be a five to ten minute space reserved for that in the Saturday Q&As. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Saturday Q&As are, you know, ask us about whatever you guys want. So, um, you know, if you listen to other mailbag things, like I was listening to the athletic football show and they do a mailbag every single week and they dedicated like 20 minutes to food in Chicago because somebody who is a fan of their show, like asked Robert Mays, Hey, like what's the good spots in Chicago? So, you know, it's a Q and a, it's supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be all be out football, but um, yeah. So obviously really excited about training camp starting this week. Um, have real content again. We are going to do a 53 man roster prediction, like full on uh, once we kind of have more updates and probably after the, the final preseason game, um, we'll cover that. So, uh, lots of news and notes over the next few weeks. Lots of breakdowns. Be sure to follow Tyler if you aren't already on Twitter. Um, he's also going to be posting stuff in our Discord uh, chat, which is exclusively for YouTube members. So be sure to uh, join in up and sign in for that. So um, that's the one. A lot of final questions about the helmet. Uh, we don't know. Uh, every NFL team has the chance to do that if they want to. Um, the Chargers are going to do that. So I think there's like 13, 14 teams that have already announced theirs. I saw one team uh, announced theirs today. I think it was Washington, maybe. The Bears unveiled an orange one today. That's right. Does That's it right. suck? So, uh, it looks okay. I saw that they called it like the pumpkin or something like that. <laughs> but um, I mean, it doesn't look bad with the orange jersey. Um, just hope... Uh, Khalil Herbert can supplant himself as RB1 there with that helmet. <laughs> Always. So uh, the Chargers will do one at some point, I assume, but I think it's supposed to be out before training camp starts officially. So we'll mm -hmm. see. But uh, yeah, every you guys know as much as we do. We don't have any information on that one. So 
Uh, as always, if you are listening to this, please leave a rating or review. We do really appreciate that. If you're watching this, be sure to subscribe, turn those notifications on. We're going to have a ton of video content over the next few months as we get ready for the season. Lots of interviews, lots of exclusive videos from each of the three of us. I know Arjun's also going to training camp, so Arjun will be uh, jumping back in the fold a little bit more as well. So uh, stay tuned for all of that, and we'll see you guys next time.